Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How are we doing? Martin Allen, part one. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, John. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hope everybody's Hi. well. Hi, John. Yeah, all good, mate. How are you? Very good. Oh, sorry, were you asking people? I was asking the people at home. Oh, oh right. Well. Sorry, I thought you were asking Hope me. Oh, well. You look good. I know, I do. Uh, what, what, what age is wearing your cap backwards deemed as unacceptable? All the cool kids are doing it, though. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen them trainers? <laughs> 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 we're just two together and we'd be alright on white men yeah. can't jump I would say that they are just a normal trainer for a 13 year old snapback <laughs> not acceptable <laughs> uh, it suits you though Chris it, exactly that's all that matters that's all that matters I'm, I'm, the I'm too nice to you I am the sun's yeah, being out isn't nice. it so he's, he's yeah, like a... well, I've got to keep the old sun visor covered the last thing you want to do is look as though somebody's put a plunger on top of your head, isn't it? And it keep, bit, keep yourself busy. Oh, oh, I've had a fucking torture of a day. Absolute torture of a day. I've heard this twice already today. <laughs> Come on, what's up? Jet washing, and I've been jet washing. Uh, what's it called? Wood patio, not patio. Decking. Decking. Jet washing. Decking. But once you once you jet washed it, you've always got to varnish the bastard, then, ain't you? And been hands and knees. Up and down and up and down. Like Daniel LaRusso? Pretty much, I. Yeah, I'm fucking shattered. I don't know how, honestly, I don't know how folk do that sort of work, I'll be honest with you. You've had it too easy. Probably, to... probably, yeah, probably have, but I feel as though I'm... You've done a day's work. Yeah, I know, yeah, and I'm fucked. How many hours did you do? Half nine till quarter to four. I saw a picture of him laid... <laughs> Top off with an ice lolly in his hand. <laughs> so he must have had plenty he of San Miguel. <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple of breaks, like, I had a couple of breaks, like, but fucking, I don't know how folk do it, mate. Next time you do, I have got a hack, and this is probably for the listeners as well, Chris. Mm-hmm. Get a, wood, a normal wooden broom, full size wooden broom, yeah. and just use that. Saves the back, and it works. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, bit, you're not going to get a good finish with a broom. I swear to God, the finish was incredible. Well, it went incredible when I finished today, and I guarantee you I shall not be doing it again. But think about it, just lather the, the brush and just thingy. Just paint with the yeah. brush. Yellow pages next year. Stiff brush or a soft one? Soft. I'll have a look at the, the, the tassels. The soft one. Are they tassels? <laughs> yeah, soft. Bristles. Go soft, bristles. <laughs> no, I'll not be fucking doing it again. There were professional painters all over the country chucking the brushes away now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm tired, but apart from that, I'm all good. Good. Oh, and I've sunburnt on my back and all. Oh, and Jesus. my top off. <laughs> so I've got a fucking red back and all. Martin Allen, part one, and a huge thanks to our sponsors for this episode. Manscaped, once again. 
Fantastic. So the number one in pre- providing precision engineering for the family jewels. And the Britney Spears. Yes. The Hilter. The Hilter. It does work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0, which is the best a modern man can ask for. Is that the ceramic blade? Yeah. yeah. Well, we tried it, and we spoke about it before, and we're still going strong. Yeah. Especially now the sun's out as well, because, exactly. you know, they can get a bit sweatier, can't they, when the sun's out? Mm. Mine's never, it's never known it. It's always been a Filth, that's what it's always and now been. now the sun's out, it's like... <sighs> I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. Everybody it's look like, at me. I'm here. When someone's, you know, when someone's drowning in a film and they save them and they just come to top at water and they're like, <gasps> that's what it's like. Then. <laughs> <laughs> the so is dead. It's good for the, good for the skin. I don't know if you noticed. Mm-hmm. I used to get a bit spotty down there after after I've had a shave. Is that because of the? Uh, is I think. That, is that because of the shaving so. or is that because of the? I, I haven't nicked it once. Is that? <laughs> is that because of the company you used to keep? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, big thanks to, to Manscaped. It's uh, once again they've got the uh, the lawnmower 3.0, which has got the ceramic bread which does all the the trimming. It's got the nose trimmer and the ear. Yes, and the ear in the uh, performance package. The weed whacker. The weed whacker. That's it. So if you get the performance package selection, you also get the boxes as well. The boxes are exceptional. Yeah. The, uh, what are yours yet? No, I've been oh, saving them for a special you, you, occasion. What? what? Anniversary. <laughs> You'll never, honestly. Yeah, I'm tremendous. not really a boxer man, but I, 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 do, I do find them really comfortable. You also get a travel bag as well, which is nice. You can keep it all in. Take it off with you. Comes in handy. Mm. And, of course, there's the aftercare. Because once you've uh, you've trimmed the old fella, you want to keep him in good condition, don't you? I use the wipes regularly. There's the crop preserver, the ball deodorant. You also get the wipes, like Chris mentioned, which uh, revives and tones the old testes. There's never been, mine's mind sometimes a bit wrinkly, but not with this gear. No. No. I would dare say I'd eat my dinner off my testicles after I've... <laughs> yeah. After I've... Uh, <laughs> I've after seen them hanging, you could use them as a bib. <laughs> Just come in. After, after I've had a little uh, little spruce up, I dare say I, I could eat my dinner off them. Oh, I can't get that to no. me, can you? What would you go with? Soup? <laughs> Soup in there? Just, tight. just dip them in some PM. A bit of chopstick noodle. <laughs> you stretched out, you could probably no, get a bit of a canopy now. We've all we've we've got a uh, an offer, of course. As always. As always. All you've got to do is put in the code COSH20 at the checkout and you get twenty percent off. It's a fantastic offer, I must yeah. say. And you were, and that the, the, the products are gonna take a lot more than twenty percent off, aren't they? Mm. They're probably oh. gonna they're probably gonna give you thirty percent on the eye. You at do at the, the very least. It does look bigger, doesn't it? Oh. Please. No? No, I can't. No? I agree with, nah. You always can't have a side party. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you can always see it. Go <laughs> <laughs> for the old, uh, the old Beckham, fuck, Beckham curtains. curtains, didn't you? <laughs> Downstairs. Just gives more room for the cabs to walk down. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just putting the code COSH20 at the checkout. Like a cab cat walk. (laughs) And you'll get 20% off. Itching. Itching that was the crabs. (laughs) So, um, Martin Allen, part one. What a guy. Wasn't it an absolute pleasure to be in this gentleman's company? It was. Yeah. It was. I think he, uh, obviously everybody knows his reputation, that sales included, Chris. eh? Yeah. And I just thought... Didn't really know what to expect, but what? It's just a, a lovely, get lovely fella. Yeah, yeah. Very. You can see he's very caring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a moment at the start when uh, you say that it's been tough during lockdown, and he and he says, "Well, we'll have a chat about yeah. it after." I was going to go in for a cuddle. 
<laughs> but he was being he was being hundred percent genuine, like he weren't he wasn't joking. No, he did. We, he, I think he had gone for a coffee and he he pulled us and just had a bit of a chat. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be incredible to play for. Oh, ridiculously so. I think if you bust your balls for him, I think he'd give you. I think it, I think he'd let you live at his house. Yeah. But so, yeah, I think he goes the extra extra yard to get his best out of. Yeah. But not even not, not necessarily just on a manu- manu- managerial level, on a human level. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a fellow level. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I thought one of the best characters we've had on. He was a bizarre character at times. Yeah, he didn't like Michael Orvin. It was the Bob that did it. I like it, Chris. Do you not get hot it house when you wear him at house then? Because you like you know, when I see your Instagram and that, you've got him on it house. Did you, did you not get warm? I'm just like, no, I just, I have no hair, have I? So it keeps my head cosy. It's like a replacement. I, I, I see your Instagram. I see if you're an hat or a toupee. It must be red hot. He's got a woolly hat on it. Oh, put, put fucking eating on your tight bastard. <laughs> but no, top, top, top guy. Yeah, yeah no, it'd be a good one. I think people enjoy it. Two parter as well. Yeah. To most I've been in, it was four hours, wasn't it? Yeah. And it went with a click of a finger. Yeah. Did you call last week? Yeah, I think it's gone down well, bless him, anyway. Yeah. Good, good having the change room, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Couple yeah, of good laugh. Couple of uh, couple of animals had the fridge weren't that big. What did they call it? Did they call the wardrobe. It? The wardrobe. Sorry, the wardrobe. The wardrobe weren't that big. The fridge. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm not having tea. I'm freezing my tea. The only reason I'm fucking pissed off and oh, I miss me bastard tea. It was old school, wasn't it? But story after story. Mm. But but not not arsehole stories. If you know what I mean, just stuff what happened, which you'd laugh about in a changing room. By water. Masturbating with Roy Sean. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, going off PC a bit, but we've got an episode coming up in a few weeks with a Bywater story that is Phenomenal. one of my favourites. And I, I can't wait to get through and come on. <laughs> I just can't now. <laughs> I really can't. He's due back on any, I don't know if we said that it, yeah, we had to cancel we, it. We had to cancel, didn't we? Yeah. But he is coming on. Live shows, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, Wednesday's coming out Tuesday, so we should have an announcement Wednesday stroke Thursday, or let's say the back end of the week. Third time lucky. Yeah, surely, surely to fucking God, no. Third time lucky. The new websites should be up by the end of the week, and all the dates and ticket links will be on there. It's meant to look quite professional, isn't it? Well, website. Our standards, yeah. yeah. You see the surprise in my voice? <laughs> Hear the surprise. Because <laughs> we ain't done it. Because <laughs> we've not, because we had nothing to do with it. It's actually quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Looks quite professional. Office. Sheffield already, uh, Dean Saunders, confirmed. Yeah. It'll be a classic. Yeah. And anybody who's bought tickets previously, they'll be valid for the new the new uh, shows. You don't have to worry about any emails crossing over anything like that just turn up with your ticket that you already purchased and you'll uh, you'll get in mm. Kevin McNaughton confirmed for Cardiff for all you Bluebird fans any of us? no no we better not say because the lads don't know it yet we've got them penciled in but... we'll, let them, we'll let another morning of the event yeah. <laughs> you're coming on but now we'll uh, we'll let you know in, in due course who we've got on at what events but Dino at Sheffield mm. we've got a Please, please come because we've, we've booked a big old room, haven't we? <laughs> we've got right pricks if, if, if this is like. Thanks to the Patreons as well, lads. Another yeah. Thank you. Yeah, very much appreciated. We've no. got to be over 30 episodes, have we? Mm. It's getting to the point now where if you've, been, if you've been a tight bastard all this time, surely, surely now you're thinking 250 for all them episodes. Yeah. 
I know if you if you got if you jumped on now two fifty you get thirty episodes yeah. to listen to. That is unbelievable value for me. That is all to put fucking prices up. <laughs> Steady inflation, isn't it? Yeah, I know, yeah. No, I'm only kidding, we'll keep prices as they are. Yeah, if you haven't signed up, have a bash for us there. Should we uh get Martin in then? Yeah. Let's do it. Mad dog. Don't don't like it. it does though, doesn't it? Oh we'll find Who knows? Out. Who knows? Mr. Martin Allen, how are we doing? Very well, thank you. Very polite, Chris. I know. I'm coming in polite because I've been nervous. Warned. So what? I've been warned. Are you nervous? We're not. We're not going with with the namesake. You know, I normally normally nicknames people off straight in. I've been told you don't like it anymore. Who told you that? My dog. <laughs> <laughs> we fucking. <laughs> <laughs> now, how are we doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm very well. Like Good. everybody getting through this uh, lockdown period and sort of coming towards the uh, sort of starting to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It, um, yeah, not an easy time in any of our lives. So it's it's nice now to uh, see a bit of sunshine and a, a way forward, isn't it? This third one's been tough, especially tough. Third lockdown, yeah. yeah. Has it been tough for you? Yeah. Okay, well, let's have yeah. a chat later. I might be able to work yeah, with we'll you and you're struggling. Yeah, it's good for everyone, isn't it, really? Yeah. Getting back onto the golf course next week. Oh, that's the one that's for me. That's a big in, isn't it? That'd be nice. That's the big one. <laughs> they... To get back to a life to, as normal, really. You're our first guest to bring, bring a pet along. Yeah. I, I had to be, didn't it? Yeah. Dennis! <laughs> Dennis! Dennis! If anybody just sees Dennis, it's it's obviously the dog. <laughs> if you listen to audio, it's, a, it's Dennis the dog. It's my black lab. I lost my, um, uh, my black lab, Monty. Uh, when I went back to Barnet, I think for the fifth time, and he'd been next to me for 13 and a half years by my ankle, really. And um, obviously, you know, it comes to all of us. Um, it, we had to have him put down on that Friday night before the blinking Luton game. And it was like, <laughs> my eyes out. Uh, and Dennis has um, taken his place a couple of years later, and he's been a uh, yeah, great, great dog. We have heard about Monty before from Aaron Wilburon. Yes. yes. I believe you brought him in the changing rooms on a regular... He used to go everywhere. He used to go everywhere. The, um, I once had, I was having a shower and our sports scientist, a uh, good-looking boy called Damien Doyle, who now works for the Irish FA as their physio, he said, oh, Gaffer, just while you're in the shower, do you want me to take Monty out for a quick walk? And he was only a puppy. So I said, yeah, 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 I'll be five minutes in the shower. Let me just get my gear on and then we've got to go back to the ground for, you know, those days with a photo shoot, your club photo shoot, like one o'clock yeah. in the afternoon. So I had my shower, got my gear on, and I couldn't see Damien Doyle, the physio, anywhere. And I couldn't see Monty, the dog, anywhere. <laughs> and it was like, what's going on here? <laughs> so we're in Milton Keynes, where there's quite a lot of fields in the middle of Milton Keynes on the back of the training ground. And Monty, the dog, had decided to run and run and run as far away as possible. <laughs> so our sports scientist, he's trying to run after him and catch him. <laughs> and it took the groundsman 
on one of those um, little tractor type things um, to bomb across and was going underneath the motorway in Milton Keynes to find Damien, who was nearly dead from exhaustion, <laughs> and Monty, my new dog. Because if he had lost my dog, Damien would have been hanging from a tree. Um, <laughs> That's the worst. He's trying to do, trying to do you a favour and it just fucking backfired, hasn't <laughs> it? And so as, as I was looking across the, fi- the football pitches on the greenkeeper's buggy, the pitch, you know, the groundsman's buggy, was my dog. And Damien was smiling with his big Irish teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there with the dog was coming along. I thought, oh my God, he was so relieved. <laughs> no, it, it, my dogs have been they've been great dogs. Uh, Black Lab, very loyal, very friendly, very calm. We've heard so many stories from the lads we've had on. I think you're well, well established within the, what we're on, the, the tremendous 10. Yeah, maybe even more. I think in, in particular, Aaron Wilbram said that like forming his mentality, and his mindset, you were the he said you were mad, but good mad in terms of you got you got his mindset on the game to probably the best football that you were playing. Shall I tell you about him? When I got into Milton Keynes, um, the owner, Mr. Pete Winkleman, said to me, We've got a lot of players that need to be moved on because we've had two relegations. So he said, This place needs a clear out. He said, I think you are just the man to do it and we need a rebuild. So I said, Absolutely fine. So I said, Mr. Winkleman, would you mind giving me a list of the players that you don't think are going to be good enough? And I'll get them in, in the middle of the summer, and I'll tell them and give them an opportunity to get a new club because they're not going to be part of your club going forward. He went, absolutely. So he wrote all these names down. So um, I, I rang each player on their mobile and said, I need to see you in the next 48 hours at a time that's convenient for you. You need to come and see me face to face. I'm not going to do it by email or letter or over a telephone call, I need to see you eye to eye. I'm terribly sorry if it's inconvenient. Um, none of them were on holiday, so that was good news. And then um, I didn't really know um, Aaron Wilbraham, but when he walked in, he was quite tall. He's quite an imposing figure. And um, it was at the hockey stadium, you know, before this great, big, lovely stadium they've got. Anyway, uh, Aaron, good afternoon. Nice to meet you. Shook his hand, sat down. Um, would you like a drink? He said, no, thank you. I said, okay, uh, Aaron, uh, I'm not going to offer you a new contract. Uh, I don't think you're going to be up to it for where we're going with this football club. So uh, you're a free transfer. You can go. It went all quiet. And he said, you've never seen me play. <laughs> and he stared at me, proper stare. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm not going to change my mind. It's, uh, you're going to get your free transfer and you can go. He said, I'm not going. He said, uh, not until you've seen me play. He said, you don't know what I'm about. He just said, you don't know how I am as a person. He said, and uh, I'm a good player. It all went quiet. There's a pause. And I thought, no one's ever done that to me before. <laughs> Were you secretly loving it though? Secretly, fair player. Respect. I said, wait there, Aaron. Wait there. So I left uh, the little dingy office at the hockey stadium, walked out through the tunnel, into the centre circle, and I rang my chairman of MK Dons, Pete. Chairman, hi, it's Martin. I've just had this conversation with uh, um, Aaron Wilbraham, and he's told me that he's not going and that he's going to stay going to stay, and sort out a new contract for him, basically. And he said, oh, ooh. He said, well, what do you want to do then? And I said, I want to give him another year. He went, okay, then, if that's what you want to do, do it. So I went back in. I said, right, you're going to get another year on the same money. And if you do well, you'll get a new deal. I promise you. You'll have to trust me. He said, he stood up. He put his hand out across the table. He said, 
thank you for trusting me. I'll repay you. And he looked deep into my eyes. He shook my hand. He walked out of the office. It wasn't on more money. It was the same money. And he had a deal. And he was absolutely brilliant. On the pitch and off the pitch. Absolute diamond. And I don't see him or speak to him very often, but every now and then I'll get a telephone call or a, a random text and uh, ask how I am, what I'm doing. And as a person, couldn't have more respect for him. Um, and I would say he would be right up there. You know, you're talking about your top 10. Do you work with these two? Because you look a bit scruffy. <laughs> 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 We've not even, we've, I promise you we've not, we've not yeah, said this. Uh, I do my best with what I've got, like. <laughs> well, listen, we've dragged him out of the gutter, we'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Sorry about I'll that. I'll take it, I'll take it. I slip sometimes. <laughs> so that was what happened with him. And um, no, an absolute diamond, um, you know, and everybody gets this impression of footballers, don't they? That they're flash and they're, they're large and they're, you know, all this sort of stuff and get bad, bad press at times. And people like him, you know, they're absolute diamonds. If he was your son, you'd be proud. You know, if your daughter married him, you'd be proud. He's a proper, proper bloke. He mentioned, he mentioned a particular song that I don't know if you played in the changing room one, one time. I don't know if you can remember, yeah, Every Chris. morning. He, did, he couldn't remember the song. Oh, he couldn't remember it. Yeah. But, go on, because you listened to the episode. He said he, rang, he, he was out with his missus a few years later and that song came on and it took him straight back to that moment and he rang you. Early yeah, hours of the morning. Yeah, he did. He rang me about three o'clock in the morning. It's like, <laughs> is he in trouble here? I think I feel myself getting in the car for a drive to find out where he is <laughs> in a gutter somewhere in I don't know, Bristol or something. And it was, Gaffer, Gaffer, your song's on. <laughs> it's like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think he must have had a few drinks. No, I have had in my time songs that, um, oh, you could say inspire or motivate or words within songs. Um, that uh, kind of get me fierce or passionate already. And um, I can't remember what some of those songs are. Um, I remember at Reading, when I got to Reading with Alan Pardew in that Medeski Stadium, and I hadn't won for very long, you know, ages, and they were looking pretty doomed. Um, there was a band called um, A Club 7 or something? S Club, S Club 7. 7. Who? S Club 7. S Club 7. And uh, this doesn't have passion written all over it to me. But I'm not very good at music. <laughs> I'm good at remembering footballers, but music, I'm awful. Um, S Club 7, and they had a song that was uh, Reach for the Stars. Reach for the Stars. <laughs> du, 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 du. Reach for the Stars. Oh my God. If you're laying on a yoga mat, with your eyes closed and you're calm and relaxed and you haven't won for ages and you've got this mad dog man walking around singing this song. <laughs> and if anybody laughed, I'd like stamp my foot on their throat. <laughs> and it was like a desire and a drive to win, to, to effing win and be the best and reach for the best that you can do. It's quite funny now, <laughs> but at the time... I was trying to time, keep me laughing. Not one player dared move because if not, my hands would have been around their throat <laughs> and it was a drive and a desire. They hadn't won for something like 17 football matches and it, need, it was needed. 
it was needed. There was I, I needed, and Alan Pardew wanted me to go in and stir it up and shock them and and be that fierce, passionate animal um, to to get them with self belief that we could win. And God bless, we did win a lot. And it rolled down to S Club Seven. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> Well, maybe. maybe. <laughs> but there's been loads of those types of songs. Um, what's that ABBA song I liked? Because one of my nephews. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at, Scruff Bag? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Chicka Kikita. Yeah. That was my nana's favourite song. Chicka Kikita, you and I know. Yeah, I suppose some people would call it mad or silly. But we used to have a team meeting at the team hotel. And obviously everyone piles onto the bus. And what I asked was before we left the hotel on the team coach, you would have 10 minutes, a gap of 10 minutes, so that you could ring your loved ones and your family before you get onto the bus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Rather than the phones going off in the bus all the time, left, right and centre and conversations going on, which you want to do before you play a football match. You want to speak to your kids. You want to speak to your mum and dad. You want to speak to your wife or girlfriend or both. Um, <laughs> and you kind of get into that zone. But when you got into the bus, in my mind, you were going to work, play, work mm. and get ready and focus and get your mindset. And, um, and I guess when that song used to come on, and I didn't do this on every team coach, of course. But um, just when it when songs got me, I used to share it with the players and to say, "Well, just take your time. This is the start. We'll have nice karma before we get to the game, uh, a nice gentle warm up, and then by the time the kickoff comes, you're going to be ready to go, and all your family and friends and loved ones, you're going to do them proud." But that was the mindset behind it. Going back to the beginning, like the start of your playing career, is that something that you've always been in touch with to play with passion and the reason that you, because a lot of modern day footballers are criticised these days, aren't they? The money involved and they're just turning out, collect a paycheck. Obviously different back then and you first started. Is it something that was, you were playing to win and with passion? You're scaring me now. <laughs> <laughs> You've turned a song in your head, haven't you? <laughs> Let the song play out, Chris. Don't worry, scruff bag. I won't <laughs> um, well, it's a good question. It's a good question. Might as well be honest and tell you how it is and tell you it straight. Um, I was a professional footballer when I was eight years old. My dad was a, a footballer and then he was a football coach and he was a football manager. And then he moved into working for the... What the FA, you know, the Football Association as one of their coaches and trained coaches to be coaches. So from eight years old, all my life has been as football. If I didn't play well, my dad would tell me in no uncertain terms. Constructively or? In no uncertain terms. (laughs) So I'm not going to elaborate, but you can probably guess in no uncertain terms. (laughs) And in those days, kids were allowed to sit in the front next to the parents, if you remember. Well, you may not remember, but... That was what it was like for me when I played football when I was eight. I didn't play for fun. I played and I had to, I did play to win and I had to be the best player. When I was eight, there was no under eights, under nines, under tens. It was only under 11s in those days. So I was under eights. I was eight playing in under 11s for a little team in Reading called Southcote United. We used to train one night a week and then play on Saturday mornings. And um, I was small. Everyone was much bigger than me. And um, the last word he always always used to say to me before I got out of the car 
was uh, make sure you find the biggest player in the opposition team and get him. I was, I was a skinny eight-year-old. So wherever the biggest player was, <laughs> I, had to, I had to get him. And I did. And I was, a, I was a midget little kid, skinny as. But that tackle, I used to make it when I was young. I used to get hurt. I was never allowed to cry. Um, and I had to, he, he drove me on. And um, wherever the best player was in the other team, he made me from the side of the pitch go and mark him and stop him. I'd end up injured, okay, end up hurt. And uh, from the side of the pitch, there's no uncertain terms. Get up, get on with it, and don't ever show him you're injured or hurt. And I was brought up with that for a long, long time. So perhaps some of the things and the traits I've had through football management and my football playing career have come from those days when I was really young. And, an, and another example, when I got a little bit older, I was playing under 12s in a, a nice little village on the other side of Reading near Newbury called Thatcham. And we were playing Thatcham Tornadoes who had the dark gold and black striped kit, black shorts, black socks. We were first and they were second. And uh, their best player, um, I tackled him. And the mother of the team on the opposite side, because the mums and dads used to stand on the opposite side of the pitch, if you recall, in those days. So I tackled this boy. He's a good lad. Hurt him um, badly, you know. And um, the parents all shouted at me. <laughs> I was about 12. So the parents <laughs> all shouted at me. And one of them called me a dirty fucking bastard. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was on the other side of the pitch and then this dad of the boy that was now on the floor upset and injured started walking around towards my dad <laughs> which was an error <laughs> and uh, as he got halfway around the goal you can imagine he's bouncing round like striding out with his arms out he got behind the goal then he went round the corner flag but he cut across the corner of the pitch then he started walking up the side of the pitch so my dad instead of standing still started to walk down towards him properly my dad was quite lively. He could, he was all right. So my dad started walking and the bloke turned around and walked back. <laughs> this was all happening while the game was going on. And my dad obviously stopped because he didn't want no, uh, no scenes. Um, I got into the car after that and uh, he went, he looked at me, he went, all right. I went, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. He said, I'm happy with a tackle. He said, but never, ever tell the parents to fuck off. <laughs> so I said, okay, dad, okay. And then he said, when we get home, don't tell your mum what's happened. <laughs> so we get in and, um, and just carry on as normal. And then with my mum, it was the opposite. I played chess. I had to clean my room. I had to do all the jobs in and around the house and do my own work. And my mum was the opposite of what my dad was. And my dad was just a football coach, football manager, and I was going to be a professional from when I was eight years old, whatever. I was going to be, I was going to do it. Was there a point where you thought, I'm not going to be good enough to make it? Yeah. did everything? Yeah, yeah. When I said just now, I was a sort of small, wasn't very well developed, eight, nine-year-old, and I was also an August birthday, which meant I was at the end of the school year, August. So I was always a, a sort of half a year, maybe a year behind some of the other players in my age group. So when I was playing eight under 11s, I was really like three or four years underneath, if that makes sense. So it caught up with me in a different way when I was 17 at uh, Queen's Park Rangers. I was in the youth team and our, uh, our manager was a guy called George Graham, who, you, you know, who went on to be such a successful, um, iconic Arsenal, manager at Arsenal. Yeah, Millwall. 
uh, Tottenham, uh, very successful, but he was very hard, very disciplined, uh, knew what he wanted and it was his way. So this was the first time in my life I'd ever had a coach or a manager like that because in the teams I'd played for before, I kind of, it's the captain in the middle of the pitch. I could do what I wanted mm. and the team would play how I wanted to play. But with George, 4-4-2, shut the lines and show people inside, back four, squeeze the pitch and you had to tackle and play forward. Well, I had a growth spurt, which saw me went from about five foot six to about five foot 10. And I lost all my strength and my running power. And you know what it's like, that takes time then to come back. It needs time to, you know, for your body to come back to get that strength. And my dad put me into Reading Boxing Club, Reading Athletic Club. And I worked as a labourer on a friend of his houses doing Wheel bricks and wheelbarrowing and all that sort of stuff for seven weeks for two summers. Yeah, and what he promised me was, you're struggling, you're not in the youth team, you couldn't get in. You need to build your legs up to get some more speed because you're one pace. Do you know that one pace like a oh, fold? And I know it all too well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was when I was younger, I could run and I can, you know, I could run for for miles comfortably. So he said, you need to find a yard. He said, you've got a choice. He said, you're either going to play lower and not earn so much money. Or if you do the work, I think you'll get quicker and stronger for you to play higher. He said, it's up to you. So he rang a friend. I'd done Reading Boxing Club two nights a week. He rang another friend. I'd done Reading Athletic Club two nights a week and a multi-story car park up the concrete steps on a Sunday morning, hopping and skipping up steps. I did it for seven weeks. And at the end, just before training, he paid for me to go on holiday with my friends to Ibiza. And I didn't have many friends because I was just a footballer all the time. So that was kind of really what it was. And it was a tough time. I wasn't in QPR's youth team. And I had a cousin called Paul Allen, who had played for West Ham as the youngest player ever in the cup final at Wembley. And then just above Paul, um, our, my other cousin called Clive, he was playing at 17 in the first team. And so this Allen family of mm, stars, Paul was in Wembley, West Ham first team at 17. Clive at 17 had scored God knows how many goals and was famous. And, and I was, I, I, no doubt, I'm the worst player ever in the Allen family. <laughs> um, the absolute runt in the litter. Um, you know, they were all really good footballers. I was just like run around tackling people. I don't know how I ever done anything, but for them, they're proper skillful. Um, and it was, it was a lot of pressure at that time because they were so successful and in the papers all the time, I couldn't even get in the blinking youth team. So it was through the hard work, which I am very proud of that turned me from that kind of leggy 17, 18 year old. And by 19, um, I managed to get into the first team. So it was, uh, it was really that a, hard work. Did you have a good time in Ibiza when the, the end of the summer? No, I trained every day. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, because um, it hadn't been my life. Mm. Um, my my whole life was focused and dedicated to um, to football. Really, um, if I, if I went out, it'd be a Saturday night, um, and after school, all my friends would be sort of out and about like they used to in those days, playing football out on the street or playing curbsy or playing those sorts of games around the game of football over the park. And when I was growing up, I had to come home from school. I had to put my training kit on and then I had to run miles 
and I ran miles and miles and miles. And if I didn't run the miles, when my dad came in from work at sort of six o'clock, he'd say, have you done your run yet? Well, I did not allow that to happen. Because if I hadn't done my run, I was in trouble. And I used to run, you know, I used to literally run for miles when I was young, just to, to build my power and my stamina, which probably put me in a good stead for, for later on yeah. when I had to run. Did you take that with you? You know, when you said you were eight, you used to go and smash the best player. Did you take that with you when you got into the youth team in the first team? Did you think, right, who am I up against today? And just go and lay one on him early. When, uh, it's, a deep, it's a deep breath in it before you speak that you think. Well, <laughs> it brought back a memory. <laughs> when I was 19, QPR um, had an end of season trip to a place, a country called, um, where's the capitals? Indonesia. Indonesia. Miles away. Jakarta. And we were going to play against uh, Feyenoord or PSV or one of them clubs and a club from Scotland. It's all because we were sponsored by Guinness and Guinness had a factory in Jakarta, distribution place. So we went out there for like seven nights, six nights and two matches and then a few days holiday afterwards. But bottom line is, I, I, was, I was a gobby little shitty kid, as you could imagine, in with all the first team players and we're playing against um, PSV. And on the right wing, they had a huge guy with big shoulders and dreadlocks coming down. He had the biggest muscly legs you've ever seen. And they were covered in that baby oil. <laughs> he looked. It sounds lovely. Yeah, you turn, you turn oh, on again. I'll yeah. fucking meet him in a bit. I like this because it starts to get me going. <laughs> He was amazing. He was 18. He was huge. He was unbelievably quick. He was virtually unplayable. And I was playing central midfield for QPR's first team, all these stars that I've been looking up at. <clears throat> I took John Gregory's place because John Gregory was away with England. So I took his place in the first team. And um, rightly or wrongly, whatever it was, the guy's name was, um, I don't know if you've heard of him, Rude Hullet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, the days from the Reading Sunday League to find the best player and get the best player, he was playing right wing at the time because he could play centre forward as well, couldn't he? And he could play centre back and he could play number 10. Lucky bastard. <laughs> and that was it. So instead of playing central, I went and played over on that side of the pitch and man marked him. And just, I was like 18. Did you, so, did you smash him? Yeah, he's fucking had him in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket full of baby oil. So the, the challenge, if you like, of um, of doing that had come from when I was brought up mm. and some of those little things that we're talking about. And and I, I would imagine there'd be quite a few young players, young players that um, would recall the end of season when I've been the coach or the manager, I would never let the young players, 18s to 20s, go on the eight-week break. They always had to work with me for two weeks, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing step-ups, press-ups, sit-ups, runs, and the uh, the terraces. Um, and lots of press-ups, lots of sit-ups. <laughs> I loved you, did they? They absolutely hated me. 
<laughs> but there's uh, some good players that have done it, passed it. And then the goal was what I wanted them to do, and I'd explained it properly to them and professionally to them, that instead of wasting time, make the two weeks, and sometimes it was three weeks, by the way, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so nine sessions, and we'd count down the sessions, and I made sure that I was there myself on every session. So I'd see it, I'd work with them. And then by the time it came to the end of it, you could imagine their bodies, their tummies, their legs, and more importantly, their mindset, similar to what I had at Reading Athletic Club and Reading Boxing Club. I wanted to put that and the mentality and the drive and the vision and the focus into my young players to give them the best opportunity to be a professional footballer. Some of them have got to the top level. And when I see them, they say, do you remember that? And I say, yeah. They say, you bastard. But it helped. So I'd never name them. Attribute that to your dad, really, in the mindset that he's given you through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that's definitely come from uh, definitely come from my dad. My dad was called Dennis, and that's why my boy over uh, there. Um, was he getting on anywhere? He's just having a kick. Where is he? Oh, is he? <laughs> Better keep the noise down. No, he's playing his PlayStation. That's <laughs> what they all do now. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> I'll say that. I mean, it's tough loving it. Because mm. at the time, I imagine there were times when you weren't so happy with the way that your, your dad were getting you running out after after school and going to the boxing clubs at that age. But then you look look back on it of what it achieves, the end goal. And were you happy as a, as a manager? Getting up at half past six, getting home at half past five, eating your dinner, then going to Reading Boxing Club at half past seven till half past nine, and then getting up the next morning and doing the same again and going to Reading Athletic Club. You try and do that every night of the week. You find out what that's like. And when you've got a hop from the bottom level, the multi-storey car park, Every step, I don't know if it's still like it. You've got concrete going up that way and then that way to the first floor. And there were seven floors. So you go up a bit and then that way. And you have to hop everyone on your right leg all the way to the top. And then the ridges, the slopes coming down where your cars drive, you could jog down that. And once you've done the right foot all the way up, you get there. Then you do the left all the way up. And then it was two-footed steps all the way up. And then it was every other step all the way up. And then it was every step all the way up and it was every other step all the way up. That was one set. I had to do six sets. My legs at the end of it were like jelly. I think I might have fucking thrown myself off. (laughs) After the first set, I think I'm going to get to the top. I think I'm chucking myself off. I couldn't move. But you tried doing that for a few weeks. And by the end of it, that power that I was lacking and that speed, you could feel it. You could just, you knew what was coming. And when I got back to pre-season training, our England midfield player, John Gregory, who'd never been beaten on a cross-country, never. And everyone knew that John Gregory would win. Fucking smashed him. <laughs> Fucking smashed him. And I remember Terry Venables and Alan Harris and George Graham proper waiting in the car park at Greenford in West London, waiting with the clipboard because they were going to write all the names down. They didn't have video cameras in those days, just to video everyone coming in. And they, the first person to come in was John Gregory. They knew, but they just wondered what his time was going to be. This is like a six-mile run. First person that came around the corner into the car park, and they went, fucking hell. <laughs> and he was like 100 yards behind me because I could virtually sprint it all the way around. Must have been a big shock for the coaches because they're obviously thinking, Martin's not even getting in the youth team. He's, 
it, similar situation to Albie, really. You're gonna you're gonna get released. You've come back. And I'm like, fuck me. Hundred percent. And also, it was the mindset. It was the mindset. What had been put into me was you are gonna do it. You are. There wasn't any room for any kind of you can't, you won't, you're not big. It was the um and he filled me from a young age playing against all those big players. You're never going to be defeated. No one can take you on. No one's better than you. They were a lot better than me. But I think it was passion, desire, drive, and a <clears throat> hunger from inside, which definitely came from the East End of London, where my yep. grandparents like worked on the docks long hours for shit money. And that's probably why our families, you know, done done so well in all aspects, not just as footballers, but in all aspects of, of our family lives. How were you received socially from the first team? You know, when you've came in, didn't like you... me. <laughs> <laughs> didn't like me. <laughs> no one likes me. <laughs> we had a youth team game, nine v nine, against the first team. If you can imagine this, if I explain it correctly, I hope. 18-yard box with a goal on it. And then on the other side, in, onto the pitch, you do another 18-yard box. So you've got two a pitch inside one half. And it was a mixture of youth team players, me and George Graham, and first team players. And on my team was the England midfield player, John Gregory. And we got a free kick, our team, me and John Gregory's team, just outside the 18-yard box. And uh, he placed it, he placed it to shoot. I was a youth team and he was play for England. <laughs> so as he's lining, as he's looking where he's about to put it, from behind him, I ran past him <laughs> and smashed it. And lucky as it went in the top corner. <laughs> I'd taken it off of an England player. <laughs> Sneakily as well, as he's waiting to start his run up. <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> Can imagine a cheeky bastard. Yeah. In fact, it's gone in though. But the story from Thatcham when I was 12, playing against the boy and I'd kicked him, and the parent called me a fucking dirty little bastard or something, it was never going to, it doesn't ever hurt me. Never. Yeah. None of those comments would ever hurt me. And the look on his face and like, the little fucking shit, what are you fucking doing? He plays for England and like this fucking runt has taken his free kick. It's like, fucking, it didn't bother me. I loved it. I loved it. And then when I used to play against him in those types of games, you can imagine, can't you? You knew what would happen. He fucking hated me. <laughs> and in the end, he would try and kick me and I would obviously keep going in. That's my upbringing. That's what it was like. And guess what? I took his place in the first team. Did you? Yeah. He got sold and I got in. There's that breath of breathing in yeah. again. And obviously, I, I never talk about all this stuff. You know, this, is, this stuff's all long gone for me now. And um, but when, you, when we talk about these things now, and you, it brings back good memories. Yeah. Brings back amazing memories. 
when you're talking about football and the passion and our lives that we've had, um, I went back to West Ham to do a function uh, at the London Stadium. <laughs> no, Upton Park, I think it was, Upton Park. And they invited me back to do a presentation at half time. And I had to be down in the tunnel 10 minutes before half time. So that as soon as the players came off, I could go on. Well, I was fine. I was okay sitting upstairs watching the game. I was all right. But then when I got down in the tunnel outside the dressing rooms and I was looking up, up the tunnel, up onto the pitch, I, for some reason I changed. I started to froth and um, the eyes started to go. And then um, I could feel it, the feeling coming again. <laughs> All the players came off. And the bloke who was interviewing me was called Jeremy. And as I was getting closer and closer to the pitch, the adrenaline rush, oh my God. It was just like the old days. <laughs> I could feel myself starting to... And he said, well, good afternoon, everybody. Our guest today, West Ham favourite, Martin Allen. Sort of, some of them clapped. <laughs> My family. <laughs> and then he made an error. He said, um, so why do they call you Mad Dog? And I was on the big screen. <laughs> and the face went to that horrible face of that horrible face I've got sometimes just stared at him it went all quiet <laughs> so, so, for one I probably, probably should have put it a better way so I wasn't very polite to him and uh, I, I had a go at him really <laughs> which is not nice in front of 24,000 people <laughs> he complained <laughs> I got told off um Poor Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that feeling, you know, that passion when you get going on it is, um, it, it's hard to describe really. What did you ever call him for? Well, he didn't know why they called me mad dog. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought a stupid fucking question. I was going to ask you, is there a specific thing that you did that got you the nickname or was it just a build up of mad things that you did? Can you remember the time when you thought, no, I'm the mad dog, the mad dog? Well, there was a couple of things that contributed to it all round, okay? A few things. Um, my son, Charlie, had alopecia and his hair started to fall out. So I got my hair cut, okay? Basically grade two skinhead, to what, similar to what Charlie had. And then um, when I used to go and watch Reading Football Club play when I was young with my dad, they had a player playing for Reading called Robin Friday. Robin Friday had long hair. He had oversized shorts. His shirt always used to be out. He always wear long sleeves and he always had his socks around his ankles. And on the warm up, he always walked onto the pitch and he didn't give a shit. But when the ball came to him, he was magic. And I loved him. He was my hero. He'd get sent off, he'd do crazy things, he'd score great goals, but he had arrogance, he had something special about him. <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> right? I just thought, oh my God, he's amazing. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> the, why, why, did you, was it a, why did they end up calling you Mad Dog? So, 
I'll let you answer that. My shirt always used to be out. The shirt always used to be out like Robin Friday. I always used to get extra large shorts like Robin Friday. Always have long sleeve like Robin Friday. And when I was a kid growing up, I never, ever wore shin pads. So I didn't ever want them because I didn't think I ever needed them. And I always just try and get my socks as far down as possible before you had to wear shin pads, if you know what I'm saying. And my, and my skinhead. And then, as I do today even, when I get excited, I froth around my mouth. <laughs> You're not enjoying it so far, are you? have not frothed yet. Or if I get overexcited, uh, I used to froth. And at the time, the Sun newspaper were running a thing about trying to ban some dogs that were being imported from America on the front page of their newspapers. Because some of these dogs, not all of them, had been savaging children. Or uh, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but hurting children and attacking people, basically. And they've been bred in America, imported into this country. And it was at the time, it was a bit rife. And it was on the front page of the paper. And one day at Upton Park, I had a lovely team, teammate called Ian Bishop. Now, I was up, up tight and tense when I used to play and wanted to compete. He could paint pictures off the pitch and paint pictures on the pitch, if that makes sense. He was yeah. a creative, skillful, long hair, relaxed, lovely, nice guy. If he fouled someone, he'd say, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and if I foul someone, I'd say, fucking get up, you soft twat. <laughs> fucking get up. And that was the way I was. And then someone was hurt on the floor, sadly. Um, and he, Ian Bishop was next to me. And I had frothed. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Around my mouth. And the player was getting injured, unfortunately. I was getting treatment, sadly. Um, and Bishop said, Ian said to me, uh, Matt, he's from Liverpool, Matt, you uh, you look like one of them mad dogs, mate. <laughs> Trevor Morley heard it. So Morley had a big gob. And then between the pair of them, they started calling me mad dog. And then it got out and about and about to people pretty quickly. And, um, and that's how it stuck, really. And those things, people ask, why, why did you hide the football from the referee when someone got injured? And I, I put the ball up the back of my shirt once and no one could find the ball. And the referee's looking around. <laughs> and it was at the back of my shirt. So all the people on the chicken run at West Ham could see the ball was at the back of my shirt. But no one on the pitch over there could see it because I'd hid it. And I thought that was hilarious. Bizarrely. And then I'd throw the ball back and the referee would book me. <laughs> and I used to find it funny. Um, and then if the ref made a mistake, I'd pretend to get a yellow card out and give the referee. But laughing. I didn't, I didn't drive there planning to do it. It was just my warped, weird sense of humour that sometimes would get the better of me. And I scored once when they were having, it was a new stand. And, all, you know, they used to put the peop, loads of people on it to make it look like it's a load of people. 
I scored and I ran to all the people and started clapping. <laughs> and I just thought, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I think, know it was, I think it's part of, do you think you're two different people off the pitch and on the pitch? Did you, oh, God, yeah. Did you enjoy building a persona? Three different people on the pitch, off the pitch, and at the side of the pitch. Obviously, managerial wise. Yeah. Can you step oh. into character? Yeah, hell yeah. With, um, with, if we went back to when I got home from my football matches with my dad, he was fine. But then when we got in the car and I got home, I had to do my schoolwork, I had to revise, <clears throat> I had to clean my room, I had to clean the house. And I had an ultra-disciplined mum that would made sure I'd do all those types of things. Um, with my dad, he couldn't give a shit about none of that. And he wanted me to be that. Um, so when I was a footballer, it was similar to that. I trained. I don't think any of the players or my managers or coaches would ever say I was lazy or late. I would always do extra. I could do press-ups and sit-ups like you've never known. Um, I could go out for runs after training when everything everyone else had finished and going home and I'd be out running. I'd be in the gym doing my extra work. I don't think any of the players would ever say that he's lazy git. Um, but then when the other side sometimes used to come out, then um, I don't know where it comes from, really. It's just sometimes it happens. <laughs> <laughs> A bit Tourette's-y. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was Trevor Francis trying to stop you attending the birth of your first child. Yeah, it was um, it was a, a big deal at the time, a big big deal uh, when it happened. Um, you know, I'd never never been famous, uh, never never been on the television or anything like that. And then uh, I was the front, you know, no bullshit. I was on the front page of every newspaper, and then on the back page of every newspaper, and then all the columns in every newspaper. And then uh, sitting down and watch the news like we used to in those days. And at 10 o'clock, it would go, bong. And then there'd be some newsreader. I think his name was James Alexander Gordon. <laughs> and he'd say, oh, well, the interest rates have gone up in Iraq. <laughs> then, it, then the bells would ring of, of Big Ben, <laughs> bong. And then the next headline would come, Queen's Park Rangers footballer Martin Allen's been fined two weeks wages for attending the... And I was watching the flipping telly at home, as we used to do. Flipping heck. That was me on the flipping news. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> but then the crazy thing with all that was um, he fined me two weeks' wages on the Monday. QPR had won at Newcastle, by the way, which is not really relevant. It was a, it was a life choice. And um, so I went training on the Monday. Trevor wasn't there. I went out and trained, finished training. And I was going to drive from West London down to Reading to the Royal Barks Hospital. And when I pulled up at the hospital about one o'clock in the afternoon, the news had already broken. It had been put out by Trevor at the lunchtime. And by the time I got there at about three o'clock, there were lorries with those satellites on. You know, those huge lorries <laughs> you see at Grand Prix. And then there were people outside with these big cameras from ITV, BBC and anywhere else, all waiting for me to... I couldn't believe it. I'm walking in to see my wife, who's upstairs on the fourth floor in maternity with my son, George. 
and they were all waiting there to take pictures of me. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. Were you looking well? Did you put some good gear on? Or? <laughs> Look like him. <laughs> I was like, scruff bag. <laughs> Geezer said, get off the street, mate. <laughs> so, uh, so had Trevor said that you couldn't miss the game to, for the, to go and see the birth of your first child? Yeah. We trained on the Thursday morning, and, and as uh, Thursday morning, you, every, every footballer's nervous on a Thursday morning. You pull into training and you hope when it comes to half past 10, 10 to 11, after a 20 minute warm up, you hope that you are going to be in the first team when he names the team. You're either going to be in the team with him or get a yellow bib and go down the other end. The people that walk down the other end of the pitch are like naffed off because they're not playing, basically. If I'd had a hernia operation, I'd been out injured for six weeks which in those days was standard for a hernia in your groin. And um, we come to this um, team meeting and he read out the game, da 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 uh, Martin over this side, da 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 And I thought, oh my God, away at Newcastle. My wife was about a week overdue. And uh, we finished the training game. He called me over in the middle of the pitch and he said, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm fine. No reaction, because you, you can't get reaction with them things. Um... He said, you're all okay then? So I said, yeah, but one thing, uh, boss, if um, I am going to be at the birth of, of my first baby, and he went, oh. He said, his exact words were, if you do that, that would be the worst thing you ever do. I said, okay, fine. If she goes into labour, I'm going to be there. He's threatening, he's threatening you then, really. Oh, yeah, that's a... That's a, threat, That's a threat. So uh, I went in, got changed, went home. She was fine. Um, Friday, trained in the morning, got on the bus from London at lunchtime. No mobiles then, by the way. So you rang from the training ground in the office. Hello, you okay? Got up to the Gosforth Park Hotel, 6 p.m., straight into reception, on the phone, putting in your 10 P's, if you remember, sliding <laughs> them in. Hello. Spoke to my dad because she was staying at my mum and dad's. Um, dad, everything okay? Yeah, all good. Pre-match, seven o'clock. Rang at nine from down in reception before going up to the room. Okay. Everything's all good. Fortune, this, <laughs> <it>? No, 10p. <laughs> <laughs> all good. All good. Half past 10, I rang from the, my room partner was David Seaman, because you have twin rooms um, in those days. And uh, I rang home at half past 10, all good, all fine. Middle of the night, half past one. Phone goes. Into my, straight into my room. David Seaman answered it. Hello. <laughs> okay, just pass you over. <laughs> Light went on. You know, those little switches on the side. He said, it's your dad, lad. I said, what? He said, it's your dad, lad. Hello. She's gone into labour. I'm taking her down to hospital in about 10 minutes. Okay, fine. I said, I can't come now, dad. But there's a 6.30 flight from Newcastle to London. I'll be on that. But before I leave the hotel, I'll ring you just in case it's a false alarm. Or if she's had baby, I'll stay. He went, yep, yeah, fine. So we'd all worked it out. I went downstairs at the Gosforth Park Hotel and the Newcastle manager was the ex-QPR manager called Jim Smith. Big red baldy head, great guy <laughs> at the bar, having a bottle of wine or three with my <laughs> first team coach at QPR, Peter Shreve, who was Trevor's assistant. And I got on really well with Peter. I went downstairs, piano bar, few drinks, smoky atmosphere. Jim Smith walks over. Mine, son, 
how the fuck are you doing? What are you fucking doing down here? Get to fucking bed. I said, Jim, my wife's going into labour and I'm going to have to go home. He ain't, he ain't fucking going home. I've got a football game to play. Let her get on with it. <laughs> and I said, no, Jim, I'm going to see it. He went, ah, nah, I can't do that. And he walked off. The Peter Shreve come over. He said, what's up then, Martin? What's up? I said, uh, Pete, she's gone into labour. He said, okay, okay. He <laughs> said, uh, make a quick call in the morning. If she's still in labour, you can go as far as I'm concerned. He said, and I'll tell the gaffer over breakfast. <laughs> So I said, okay, Pete, you're okay with that then? He said, absolutely. Hope it goes well, but just check before you go. Don't want a false alarm. <laughs> Off I went. Bang. Six o'clock in the morning. She's in labour. On the flight. Royal Ephraim. Straight to Reading. George was born at half past 11. QPR win 1-0. Two-week wage is fine. Monday afternoon. I get to the hospital at the Royal Barks. Cameramen everywhere. Journalists. And then the phone calls started going in. My dad (laughs) sold pictures and interviews. I was on £700 a week at QPR, so that was £1,400. My dad sold to the Daily Mirror for £4,000 a double-page spread in (laughs) colour. Inside you. (laughs) My dad sold... Three pictures of me and the baby for 500 each. (laughs) Right? (laughs) My dad sold a TV interview to the 10 o'clock news, ITN news or whatever it was called. Two and a half grand. (laughs) It's the richest grandland in London, isn't it? (laughs) It took... To do all of those things, an hour. In those days, it was mega money. The only thing is, I had to tell my wife, who was still feeling like shit, that she had to get herself ready for all these interviews. (laughs) (laughs) He was the richest one-day-old kid in the world. (laughs) So when I went back in, I had to contact the PFA and this uh, this guy called Gordon Taylor because it was a big story. I said, Gordon, I can't afford all this. Two weeks away, it's 1,400 quid. I need the money. He said, don't worry, Martin. He said, we get this done down for you. No problem. He said, it might just go to one week. I said, a week's wages. I said, I can't afford a week's wages. I put the phone down because I just made about eight grand. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that story now because Gordon Taylor's just left. <laughs> so no, that's that's what happened with that story. And, uh, so was, he, was Trevor Francis absolutely raging then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He weren't happy. Um, you know, no, he wasn't happy. Obviously, I guess he wanted me to play, believe it or not. Was that against the grain for that time? You yeah, know, like was, Jim, yeah. Jim Smith's response? Because it, it's that it alpha it. situation, yeah. isn't it? That, oh, let the women sort it out. You know, do men... Would, yeah. would many players miss miss the birth of the child to yeah. play the game? It was more like that in those days. Um, it was crazy. And then uh, on the Tuesday, I was put in the reserves to play away at Cholton, Tuesday afternoon, and we played at Welling United on a Tuesday afternoon, like two o'clock kickoff. So I didn't really want to play there, obviously. And uh, got on the team coach, and all these things were in the papers everywhere. And you put the radio on on the team coach, 
and it was a debate about whether I should or shouldn't have gone because it was it was literally everywhere, and it was friends in America. It was everywhere whether I should have gone or not. It was, you know, it's my only time I've ever been famous. I think <laughs> apart from when I've done something mad, <laughs> and um, when I pulled up, when when the bus pulled up at Welling at like half past twelve on a Tuesday afternoon, there was must have been ten cameras. And reporters and photographers all stood there taking pictures of me walking from the road on the coach up to the dressing rooms. And I was like, this is weird. I've ne- I'd never known anything like it. It was, um, you know, you know when they, you see these famous people walking up the street and there's cameramen around them everywhere. Yeah. That is what it was like. It was, it was weird. Kind of opened up a social debate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. be. You missed a trick though. You should have rung him and said, Gaffer, I'm not playing tonight. I've got an interview with the Express. And just put the phone down. <laughs> Just to add fuel to the fire. The reserve game. I can't do the reserve game. I've got... I'll see you Thursday, Trev. I've got an okay... I've got an okay shoot, Trevor. There's another twist to this, if you want it. Um, Trevor went on to be a manager at Sheffield Wednesday. I was playing for West Ham. We played away... I think it was West Ham. We were playing away at Sheffield Wednesday... And after 20 minutes, a midfield player, a lovely lad, lovely bloke called Graham Hyde, uh, on a goal kick, I went up for the header and Graham Hyde, el- edge of his elbow, caught me in the side of my ribs, which uh, fractured my ribs. And subsequently, when that fractures, it can go into your lung. So I had a punctured lung on the pitch at Hillsborough. And when you get that, you, you virtually can only just about breathe and it's really, really painful because you can't really exhale. You just have to really sniff, you know, just, just to what get by. Saying? And it's pretty scary. The referee was next to me and he thought, fuck you, you bastard, and left me on the floor. No, he didn't. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't really talk. I couldn't talk. So he stopped the game immediately. I got taken in, down to the hospital, got done, the, had the treatment for the punctured lung. I was in an old hospital in Sheffield, not one of these private plush places. And there's a lot of old people in there, if you know what I'm saying. Very quiet, apart from people dying. Got to about 11 o'clock at night, and a nurse came over to my bed. And she said, hello, Mr. Allen, how are you feeling? Not too bad. I'm in a little bit of pain on the right here. She said, okay. Just to let you know. Just had a phone call. Trevor Francis has asked if you're okay. (laughs) I had to pinch myself to see if I was still alive. (laughs) (laughs) I looked at her and I said, are you sure? She said, yes, he's just Sheffield Wednesday manager, just inquiring <laughs> if you're okay. I said, yeah, I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> and I thought, fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> I've since seen Trevor, to be honest. And uh, in, all, in all fairness to him and fair play to him, he, uh, he did say to me, come over and shook my hand straight face to face. He said, I made a big mistake. He said, I made a big mistake. I shouldn't have done that. He said, and um, I'm sorry. 
So uh, joking that. apart, I thought fair play to him. Yeah. It was a good effort on his part to come up. Um, it was him that rang the hospital. So I thought that was a good effort as well. And I thought she had a lot of character for him to actually do that. So fair play to him. Well, I, I'm guessing it was frosty the few days after with him. But... Didn't speak to me. Didn't did hardly play me. Kept taking me off, which was ridiculous. Um, no, at that time, that, that was probably that QPR team. That was probably my best spell as a footballer. Um, at that that spell, I was pr- I was doing all right. You know, put it like that, doing all right. Uh, we had a really really good team at QPR. Um, no, it it was obvious. Then I had to go, and then uh, there was a believe it or not. George Graham was the new manager of Arsenal and he tried to buy David Seaman and myself for a, a, a double transfer, whatever you call it. And I think he offered about 750000 for both of us, which was uh, 700 for David <laughs> and fifty for me. Um, and, and, and QPR rejected that and said that they wanted more. And then about two weeks after, um, West Ham uh, came in, and then that obviously that move then changed me in a different direction. Yeah, we were speaking about it earlier the comparison in transfer fees to where we are today, and our mathematician over there has worked out that he's looking at twenty million, you're twenty million pound player in today's game. Just say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine it. Twenty million pound price tag. Well, the game was different then, wasn't it? Let's yeah. be honest. The game was totally different. It suited me because I was at QPR when they had that plastic pitch, oh, yeah. one of the first clubs to have it. <clears throat> so for my style of play and my competitive nature, um, clubs coming to that pitch at my age hated it. Um, you know, I was fearless on the plastic. I'd slide on the plastic. It wouldn't. I had no fear of the plastic or getting hurt. And everybody else used to come and look at the pitch and think, oh, my God. And then I'd hit them as hard as I could and get them over. And they'd have all red rashes on their legs. Sand in their eyes. Yeah. And I used to, my knees and my waist and my, everywhere was just rash. Uh, I couldn't wear trousers. It's just like I had to wear shorts all the time to try and get them to dry out. I was on tablets all the time to get rid of infections. But I had no fear. So players coming to QPR at that time, it was the perfect time for me personally. uh, Because that pitch was such an advantage. Um, and their mindset was like, get me away from here. Um, no, and then, then obviously, like you say, that changed to go over to West Ham. It was a completely different, different life, really. Did you fit, fit straight in West Ham? Well, my parents had come from Essex um, and moved over to Reading, where I was brought up as a little boy. It, throughout my family, they're all West Ham fans. Some of them are season ticket holders. So the fact I was going back to play there. Yeah. And when I played for QPR, we used to get 14, 12 or 14,000. And when we played West Ham, there'd be 24,000. And there'd be 18,000 West Ham. Yeah. And I'm not joking. The whole place used to be like, in one game, you can see it on, um, what's that? What's that? Red Tube, is it? No, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. YouTube. Yep. The, the game's going on. And there's so many West Ham fans inside. They're all sitting along the side of the pitch. They'd all got in. They'd all yeah. bunked in. It was an invasion of West Ham fans. And as a QPR player, we're near the top of the league and they're like near the bottom. It was like, I can't get my head around this. 
and it was the whole stadium was West Ham. So when when I went there, it was um, an unbelievable change or turnaround in my life. Really, QPR was really really good, and no regrets about QPR, and um, no regrets. But then West Ham, it was a division below. It was it's a it's a totally different world. It really is a different world. I loved it. Did you fit right in with that? That mould on the field as well, because, I mean, the disciplinary record was interesting. What, mine? Well, yeah, and collectively as a team as well. <laughs> do you, do you we'll like you two sort of <laughs> <laughs> I can just see a wrestling at Garden. It's one of river. He'll be in that river. <laughs> <laughs> but with that um, disciplinary thing, there was one season where... Um, <laughs> I did get a lot of points <laughs> and um, I went with Billy Bonds, the manager up to um, London to a place called Lancaster gate, which is where the FA offices used to be. So we met about 45 minutes beforehand and th- there was these new things coming out at the top at the time called coffee shops. So uh, we found a little coffee shop near Marble Arch and we sat down and, uh, you know, my manager and me and, um, I might be a bit mad, but I'm also sometimes I'm okay, <laughs> normal. Um, so he said, "Well, what are we going to do then, Martin? What what you got planned?" <laughs> so I said, "Bill, uh, sorry, Gaffer, just uh, just leave it to me, and I'll um, I'll deal with this. Don't worry, and um, I'll I'll deal with this." And I had worked out everything about descent, tackles, red cards, and I put it all into categories: which ones were, which ones weren't right. And I'd really put up a good defence. So um, five minutes before the hearing, we went into Lancaster Gate, collar and tie, suited and booted, all ready, waiting in the waiting room, big oak table. And the lady comes through with those half glasses. You said, oh, good morning. She said, you're welcome to come through now. So we opened the big doors into this long, long oak table. Must have been sat for about 24 people. So me and the gaffer, Billy, sat there. And then from the other side, like Scooby-Doo, came three men. I can't say the other word I was going to say. <laughs> from the Football Association. And they sat opposite. There was three of them and two of us. The guys opened his briefcase. He took out the file, put his briefcase on the floor, put his glasses on. He's looked across the table, put it onto the thing. And, it's all quiet. He starts humming and he looks over his glasses at me and he said, uh, oh, right then, Mr. Allen. He said, um, 53 disciplinary points. He said, uh, you've even beaten Vinnie Jones to 50 this year. <laughs> My defence had gone. Ah, I was speak. Even I was speechless. And he went. He said, "What have you got to say for yourself?" <laughs> so I said, "Well, I don't think I can say a lot, really." I said, "I've had too much mouth for, to the referee, too much appealing, too many criticise criticisms of the referee. I'm really, really sorry. I think you can see from the last month, I've been a much improved. <laughs> um, there was no way out of it. You couldn't really say anything. The last month, <laughs> it killed me really. With, um, and you know, and for that year, you know, you have special things, don't you? Each year, you know, Player of the Year, 
manager of the year. Uh, and for that season, I got to 50 points the quickest. <laughs> <laughs> Not you've, good. You're a fan of the dark arts? What's the dark arts? A bit of a, a, a little stamp. Bit stamping and, a bit of, and the bit nipping. A, and, an yeah. in there. You know, when you've only got one, it, was there even one camera at the game? Oh, cheating like. Yeah, cheating. <laughs> we'll call it cheating. <laughs> nipping and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we knew that already, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, yeah. But the weird thing is, this is probably a bit weird. I was like that as a footballer, anything to win, diving, feigning injury, um, all the worst things that we all hate. I hate. I used to do all of those. Um, and I was probably good at it. <laughs> Um, anything to get someone sent off. Yeah, I've done all those. But then when I went to be a manager, I was the complete opposite. I had a zero tolerance of any dissent to the referee. Zero. We never had any players sent off. So if they used to get yellow cards, I used to substitute them. So we always played with 11 players. And if they had lack of discipline or lack of respect, I'd substitute them and get them off. We agreed this with the players and I explained to them we needed 11 players and we couldn't afford to lose players through suspension. From how I was as a footballer, I was probably the opposite as a manager, Would which you, is interesting. Yeah, mm. like, especially if you were managing yourself, would that, that have taken something away from your game, the fact that you couldn't get booked or you're going off? It's probably why I picked up on that, because of my ill-discipline. Um, not enough respect... But my game was like that from when I was a little boy. So I was going to be like that as a professional footballer. But it's a totally different job. When you go to be a manager, you know, I did not want um, dissent to the referee. Um, and I wanted full respect, full respect. And I don't think you'll find there's, we were always zero on the, or the best team for discipline. And not all the clubs, but most of the clubs I've been at. It's one of them, though, and that you stick to what you know. It worked for you as an eight-year-old, so you've just carried that through yeah. and thought, mm-hmm. it's what works for me. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And, you know, with that um, management thing and going from a player who was like that, and I went in to be a manager that was a firefighter manager. So clubs that were near the bottom of the league. When I went into Reading as first-team coach with Alan Pardew, they hadn't won for something like 17 games. And I had to get in and upset it and big players, important players. Um, I nailed them and took them on big time, big time. Any examples? They kept being late. And I used to sit out the front on a chair outside with the car park. And if one person was late, I made it clear to them. And I said to Alan Parger, this is fucking ridiculous. No wonder you keep losing someone's fucking late. And I'd said it in a horrible way with the, the horrible face on. Fucking joke. It's no fucking good. I said, I want to do something about it. He said, we can do what you want. So I said, well, he's late, so everyone will be in a, an hour earlier tomorrow. And he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, I don't think it's fucking funny <laughs> with my horrible face on. And he went, all right, then, if you do it, if that's what you want to do and you think it's going to work, do it. So we, before training, 10.25, we're all out on the grass. I said, you were fucking late. 
I said, if you keep being fucking late, when it comes to a set play or an important decision on the game, are you going to be fucking late for that? That's why you keep fucking losing. Fucking be on time. Everyone tomorrow will be in here half instead of half past, what is it, 10 o'clock. Everyone will be in for nine o'clock. If anyone's late, it's going to be an hour early the next day. Cut the fucking shit and no excuses. <clears throat> and it was said in no uncertain terms. You know, there was, it wasn't the face to negotiate with, if you know what I'm saying. <sighs> Three days later, they're coming in at half past seven. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> and how oh, did, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> how did the how did they earn it to get back to ten o'clock? If they were consi- consistently on time, would you then give them half an hour back, an hour back? No. For, for that for foreseeable future. Would you been on time? I'm just saying. I'm just thinking. Then I think uh, I'd have been a nightmare because the you. rest of the lads would be on your back then as well, wouldn't they? It's not just you're not being punished on your own. I mean, had off, had I had two senior players, okay, Phil Parkinson and Peter Grant. Both senior players, both good players, both really, really good professionals. So, Granty, Parky, I need to see you away from the others. I need to chat, okay. This is what's happening. You keep losing. Everyone's fighting in the dressing room. I said, I am going to sort it out. Some of the things I'm going to do, you are not going to like. But we will start winning. Okay? You got it? If you have a problem, you come and see me. If you have a problem, you come and see me. Don't go to the others. You come to me direct. And you can speak to me anytime you like. If you keep fucking losing. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so they'd all come in at half past seven and then after training, <laughs> there'd be a note going up. Everyone in tomorrow, nine o'clock or a time to suit that the manager wanted. So in the end, we got back to the thing. If people then turned up late, we fucked them off and made them come in on the day off and train with the sports scientists, you know, some nerd who would just make them run around the pitch or something. But we had to create, we had to do something pretty quick. If not, Alan was going to get the sack. He was, he was going to be gone. And I knew I had to save it. I had to turn it around. <clears throat> but we did, so we did quite a, thing, a few things like that. But then when, um, when we'd been up to Preston away and we warmed up in the Preston, we won the first game at home 1-0 at Reading. And then the next game was away at Preston. David Moyes was the manager. He don't like me. <laughs> no, he don't like me. I told the players with hard work and dedication in no uncertain terms, if we kept practicing, we kept training, we kept doing our work and we kept practicing set plays, we would win. We would win. Reading hadn't won away from home all season and they were just one place above the relegation zone. And Preston were flying. They were in the rele- in in the promotion places, and we we're playing them away from home. And uh, I turned. I got a stereo, you know those stereo things, the big ones that go on your shoulder. <laughs> so I got one of them, wedged it in the door. Didn't shut the door to the dressing room. Wedged it in the door and put it up with the loudest speakers and shitty songs you've ever heard. Not Abba, surely. <laughs> S Club Seven. Anything. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> 
So the players are all in the dressing room like, what the fuck is he doing? Alan Pardew's looking at me going, and it a bit loud. I went, ow, I'll turn it up a bit fucking eye, mate. <laughs> I said anything to piss them off. And he went, Phew. I said, trust me, fuck them. I said, right, boys, we're going out five minutes earlier today. You know what it's like as a footballer. You go out quarter past two, which is like standard stuff. Everyone goes out at 2.15 for an half-hour warm-up before a match. So I said, five past two, be ready to go, and we'll go out at ten past. And the rule for the day, you follow me and do what I say. Do not do anything different (laughs) to what I say. If I get in trouble, I couldn't give a shit. Now follow me and let's fucking have them. So they're all looking at each other going, oh my fucking God, what is he going to do? <laughs> so from Pres- Preston, from behind the goal, you jog out and the away team normally cha- um, do their warm up at this end of the pitch. I took our players down to the other end of the pitch. All right. <laughs> so we we're all bouncing about, kicking around on that. And all the Preston fans are starting to come in. And then the Preston players in their nice white kit start coming out. And they're coming down the pitch and their coach, some big unit, he jogs on ahead of the players. He said, oi, oi, you, you're changed, you've got to warm up at this end, mate. You're at the wrong end. <laughs> I said, are you fucking oying me? <laughs> boys are looking like going, just keep fucking going and do what I fucking say. <laughs> so he gets closer. I say, I ain't fucking moving. You got that end of the pitch. No one told me there's a rule. No one's told me where I can and can't go. You can't make the rules up. We're changing here. I say, keep fucking going. So they're all messing about. <laughs> they're all doing bits and pieces. I said, right, everybody off you go. Come back. Do three 30-yarders and come back in. So I'm in the middle of the pitch on my own. He said, right, I'm going to tell the manager. I said, go and fucking tell him. I said, I'll be, I'll be waiting right here. So he went back in. The Preston players are all around the centre circle looking. This gobby shite ain't fucking moving. So then they started moving into the middle of the pitch to get their stuff out and start doing their stuff. So I said to Ella, just carry on doing what you're doing. I ain't moving. I weren't moving. Next thing, I look round and there's a policeman with a flat hat on and he's got one of them walking, a, a wooden stick about that long. You know those things that they walk along with? A truncheon. truncheon, Yeah, I don't know. His long stick, wooden. He's walking like, you know, he looked the part. You know, walking black, stick. shiny shoes. It was about there. If anyone come in front of him, he'd whack him with it. And I thought, he's coming for me. So all the Preston lads are around the fucking box. All my lads are in the middle. And it was all like getting a bit fractious. The Preston players were having a go at me, which was fine. So he starts coming down the middle of the pitch. And as he got about 20 yards away... I said, right, come on, lads, let's go. And I jogged across to the corner flag and started running down the side of the fucking pitch. And he's now curving across with his fucking stick. Hey, hey, come here. Come here. You, over here now. So I thought, oh, fuck. I said, lads, just keep jogging. Just keep jogging up to the far end. You're very ill. So I'm walking, and instead of walking like all timid and scared of this, whoever he was, he looked like chief. Um, I walked a proper attitude, like slow arms, shoulders, body language. Come on then. Hello, sir. (laughs) And he said, hello, sir. Don't hello, sir, me. 
said, your team are going to warm up there. He said, I'm going to arrest you for a breach of the peace. <laughs> I said, breach of the peace? <laughs> Enough. Now move. <laughs> so I jumped off. I was, I was laughing. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I didn't need to do no exercises. We went into the dressing room, turned off the stereo, totally silent. Players are all in. Quarter three. Alan Pardew was fair play to Alan Pardew. He let me get on with it a bit. He's, and I just said to him, now let's fucking do them. Quietly, just do it. Don't go shouting. Don't go screaming. Just do your jobs. And it was all nice and calm. We won 2-1. On the way back, I said to Alan Pardew, no midweek game coming up. I said, Al, if we go off the motorway, can we stop off at a pub with everyone in the squad and everyone have two drinks so we're not over the drink drive limit, but we just go in, a bit old-fashioned, and I said it'll be great for the players. Players will love it. I went down and spoke to Phil Parkinson, the captain. I said, Parky, I want to stop for 45 minutes, just have a refueling break. I said, it's very important. And he said, okay. He said, what are we going to have? I said, well, everyone can have two pints of Guinness maximum each. And the lads went. <laughs> so we went in this pub. It was about half past six. We had 40, we had no more than 45 minutes in there, a couple of pints for everybody. And we, the team spirit, mm. getting up at half past seven in the morning. Some of them were getting, coming in from London, getting up at five o'clock in the morning. That team spirit mm. and that belief and that camaraderie grew and grew and grew. And the next year we got into the playoffs, got to the playoff final. So. People, a lot of people would say is mad, 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 but quite a lot of people don't know full detail. Yeah. Do you think? Do you do you have a, a roadmap in terms of? I'm not a bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> Bre breaking people down, so they probably think, "What a wanker, those players!" But you know that you're going to bring it the end right game. round to an end game, essentially. Because as long as you're it, fair, yeah, a lot of the lads will have been like, oh, I'm not sure about seven. this guy. If I'm in at half seven, I'm fucking yeah. furious. Yeah. Play better. Yeah. Fuck off. Give <laughs> <laughs> me money, I will. <laughs> but in guarantee, after that Preston game, the lads are like, he's actually all right, isn't he? I think so. But are I you think thinking so. about that in advance of when you're going to bring it back round again? What do you mean by that? Explain. So you... you I'm going to fuck them off. I'm going to build a trust and then get to the point where they think, I tell you what, it's actually fucking... What it, what it does works. We know why you done that at half seven. And then it ended up, as you said, you stayed up and then you went and got in the playoff final yeah. the next season. Or is that just a natural progression that happens over time? Well, I think it's a natural progression. You can't do it all the time, of course. Mm. You know what I mean? You know, you're never, you're, you're never, you're never going to be able to live with that if you're that type of manager. But uh, then it got to a stage where um, after fighting relegation, doing that type of thing at Reading and then at Barnet and then Knox County, I had to do the same again, that type of regime. And I think there were a couple of others, probably a couple of more times at Barnet. Um, I had a good chat with my son, George, who's quite a bright, um, you know, he's an intelligent, clever, clever bloke. The one that was the Trevor Francis baby. That's George. Um, <laughs> the Trevor Francis baby. No, and his baby, I don't think. <laughs> um, 
That would be a twist, wouldn't it? Not twist. <laughs> I'm not going to sell that again. <laughs> you get 50 grand for that now. Um, no, so I got to finish Notts County and I was speaking to my son, George. And uh, George doesn't say too much. He's quite quiet, but he's very clever, very bright, and he's a good thinker. And he said, Dad, you've uh, saved all these clubs from relegation. Um, and you've done great, Dad. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, but don't you think it's about time you started to think about how you're going to change it and how you're going to get to the next level? I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you can't live your whole life under this stress because it is really stressful. When you're saving clubs like that and doing that, you can't live and work like that all the time because it's very confrontational. So he said, you need to have some time out and have a think about how you're going to change this. He said, because you want to get a team that's going to get promoted. So I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do that? And a friend of mine knew a guy that worked as a chief exec in a big bank in Canary Wharf, like top job, worth millions. And um, he was having help and support and guidance in the managerial capacity and for his mental well-being to help him live, even though he's got an apartment like you've never known. He's got an house in wherever and he's got millions of pounds. He was struggling Doing with life. pressure. Yeah. So this guy... I sat down and met with him and explained and showed him everything, kind of the style that I'd actually had, similar to some of the similar things to what I've been talking to you about. And uh, he helped me and um, big time over a year. So I used to go to him, could say for counselling, for training, for um, change of outlook, management style. Um, best thing I've ever done. It's the best thing I've ever done. So when I got to Gillingham, which was my next job, um, they'd finished, I think, about ninth in the league. Hadn't got into the playoffs. They'd spent some money on players. <clears throat> and um, I knew all the players at the lower level. I knew them all. So I was able to cherry pick or hand pick, similar to what I did when I was at Brentford, hand pick and cherry pick all the best players and take them into Gillingham. And um, the outlook was um, we'd do defending and it would be a keep ball passing drill. And they'd be looking at me and going, ah, ah. and every session, including all the warm-ups, was with the football. Everything was about keeping the ball and moving the ball. And at Notts County, we had a centre forward called Lee Hughes. I'm going to, I'm going to come on to you, is it? And we had a 4-2-3-1 formation with him playing up front on his own. One day he came in my office. He said, the gaffer, he said, I don't want to fucking play in this team. I went, right. He went, I want another centre forward. He said, there's too many fucking passes. He said, I'm never going to score. And because he was a key player and a senior player and a good player, I thought, I'm going to need to change it. So I said, okay, we'll change. And I started to play with two up front, play with four, one, three, two, which was a new system at that time. So I wanted to do, try and do something different. So when we got to Gillingham, 
I put in this 4-1-3-2 of all the players. They were all like, oh my God, never done this before. So we had rotations on the wide players with the wide midfield players. We had a, a centre forward that could go behind playing as a number 10. And we won our first nine straight games because no one could, we, they couldn't get the ball of us and they couldn't work out how to play against us. Mm. And I'd never done nothing like that in all my life. I was 4-4-2 with a giant. Up to him, knock downs, get it wide, get it in the box, end of. So it was a totally different philosophy. I didn't make anybody come in at half past seven. We had a senior management committee that would come into my office twice a week and I'd ask them what to do in training. What do you want to do? What do we need to do? What, what should we do? So what they wanted to do, we did it. We went to France and had a, a great trip in, um, what was that place we went to in France where there's nice golf? Le Touquet. We went there for a week on a training camp. Oh my God, we had the best time. Absolutely best time. We played, we was on the beach every morning at half seven, doing running. Um, breakfast at nine, training at half ten. Baguettes and salad and cheese and ham and tomatoes <laughs> and all that at lunchtime with crisps and water, with oranges in the dressing rooms, helping ourselves and making it each for each other, not in the hotel to save costs. Sleep in the afternoon, training at five till six, which is always five asides and nice football stuff. Nine o'clock after dinner, we'd play games like Scrabble and Monopoly and we had big loads of board games, no drinking. The last night they all went out and had a great time. And you just knew, I knew that we were going to be champions. I don't know what it was. Best feeling of my whole career. Um, Going into a season? I knew. I just knew. It was magic. The players were magic. And had you got the best players in the, in the league? All three transfers I bought in. I didn't buy any. I bought Leon Legg from Brentford for 15000 who wasn't in their team. All the others were threes and they just gelled. They blended. Um, We played great football. We were top of the league for the whole season from start to finish. We scored loads of goals and they they were like... um, The biggest compliment I could get was... A couple of things were important. At the end of the season, we had a big function for the players and their families and three of the wives were sitting on a sofa. So I was obviously going around to say hello to everybody. And um, I was able to go over and say, hello. And I knew all their names of the three wives of three key players, if you know what I mean. So I said, oh, hello, let's for argument's sake say, oh, hello, Linda, nice to see you. Hi, Jane, nice to see you. Uh, hi, Jackie, good to see you. Are you okay for a drink? And I walked away from that and I thought, oh my God, that is so special. I knew everybody's name. (laughs) Everybody's name in the room, I knew. And it was kind of, and then I got a WhatsApp message from one of the players called Adam Burchill. And he he put on it, hiya, unk, how are you doing? (laughs) So I, what's the unk bit? (laughs) And he went, you were like an uncle to all of us. And I thought, oh, my God, from how I used to be mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, I used to want to fight in the tunnels all the time, the opposition and the managers and the players, I'd be ready to fight anyone. And it kind of the philosophy changed. And um, going back to the discipline that we spoke about earlier, there was zero discipline. I, they were not allowed to speak to the referee. And I'd said to him, if there's a problem with the referee, I'll sort it out. 
you play good. I'll look after you. And if they didn't train well, I didn't make them run around the pitch. I just called them all in and say, look, lads, you look knackered. Fuck off. Have two days off and I'll see you on Friday and be ready. Yeah. And that is, that is how we were champions. And then it's the same. I did the same at Barnet. You know, to, to win that league, that is a tough league. It's 46 games or something. And it, we had a, I had a, a similar management style playing great football. We just out, we were winning every game by half time. I could have gone home. Right. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Got to sit through this. Let's get home for X Factor and a Chinese. Because <laughs> um, we just win all the time. We were, wherever we went, we just outplayed everybody. Do you know when you were saying about the Notts County winning the league and stuff was your biggest achievement and that? Was a lot of it though, the satisfaction that you've done it your way? That you've thought, you're not putting out fires, you're not this. With your new philosophy. This, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. When that conversation with my son George, um, Dad, you need to do something different. Um, I'd never really been told that before yeah. in the whole of my life. You know, I could, I was just going to be right and do it my way. So when he actually sat back and said, "Dad, you need to sort of try and do something different sure. on your CV," so the fact that I kind of got some help, yeah, professional help, top level help. And I kind of, I don't know if it's a weakness. I'd say it's perhaps a strength yeah. to sort of go out there and say, well, can you help me? You know, talking to people, addressing people, looking after people, um, tell them what you want or ask them what they want. So bring their ideas to the table, uh, their feelings, rather than me saying, this is how we're doing it. Yeah. And I did at the beginning, I had um, a philosophy that was called FIFO. F, you know, FIFA. You know, FIFA? Yeah. <laughs> I had FIFO. It was fit in or. <laughs> Be on your way. <laughs> so that was it. But you're not. But you're not any less determined or less when you are this different manager. No. No. You still want to win just as much. You're just doing it in a different way. Passing responsibility onto the players rather yes. than you yeah. taking everything on. Yes. Is that part of the, do you see that part of the, the stress build-up as well? The fact that you're, you're taking all the responsibility. It's all on you. Yeah, it has definitely affected me, which it, is why I've um, wanted to have some time out. And um, as you can tell, I'm, I mean, I'm an absolute million dollars now. To be fair, why is he laughing? He didn't have to look much to put... Look good around this table, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking scruff bag in corner. Uh, yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 